Good evening, this is Jenny Hopkins with the Coach's Perspective, and the show is presented to you by Great Southern Bank. Great Southern Bank is serious about convenience with nearly 100 banking centers in six states, hundreds of ATMs, and mobile and online banking services. You're always in touch with your money. Learn more at greatsouthernbank.com, member FDIC. We're also going to show gratitude throughout the show to our other sponsors, Highland Dairy, Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance, Bill Grant Ford in Bolivar, Story Construction, West Logging, Greg and Melinda Burnett, and Springfield Yard Cards. So we have a great show um, for you tonight. I want to recap a little bit about last week. Last week I was very excited to have Coach Mike Neighbors on the show from the University of Arkansas Women's Basketball. Um, Coach Mike Neighbors, he, he just does it the right way. He coaches the correct way. He coaches the person and not just the player. And he did a tremendous job talking a little bit about how they're shifting a lot of their focus to the mental health and how it has helped his program. And he has uh, brought them into the national spotlight more than once in his tenure there. So if you want to listen to that episode, which I think you do, please go to the website, acoachesperspective.com. It's under previous shows. Or you can listen to it on Apple iTunes. You can listen to it on Spotify, Verbal, and now Helium Satellite Radio, all of those under A Coach's Perspective. So our guest tonight is Alexis Fibble. She's out of New York, and she is a coach, an educator. She is a consultant for Breakthrough Coaching Center. She is a college recruitment consultant, and she's also a certified life and health coach. And she has such a plethora of valued insights when it comes to athletics today. It was very hard to narrow this down into just one hour, but we are going to get started with her, and I think you're going to really enjoy some of her perspective. Well, I want to welcome Alexis Fibble to the show, and I'm very excited to have this interview. Um, Alexis, you and I have uh, have spoken in the past, and uh, we could have marathon conversations on a lot of the topics <laughs> we're going to discuss tonight. So welcome. To the show. Yeah, yes, we could. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Well, I want to talk first of all about um, about coaching. You know, you've been in coaching for a while. You you understand, um, you know, that role in your life. You have many roles, um, but that is one area that you um, are very comfortable. Um, over time, how have you felt like coaching um, has changed over the last few years? So that's a good question. So, um, as you said, I've definitely, yeah, I've, I've been in here, um, in this space a very long time. I'm going into my 20th year as a, uh, basketball coach. Um, we, I started as a varsity. I actually, I started as a, uh, grad assistant, um, at the college I graduated from, which is Western New England. And I was able to do that for two years. And then basically right at 22 and a half, 23, I became a varsity coach. So at that time, um, it was definitely more X's and O's. I can say that the focus was to maintain structure within your practice, structure within your plays, and almost kind of strictly follow, um, you know, a, I guess a culture, you know, that you're trying to establish or build. Um, but as I've grown as a coach, as I, I think social media has played a huge part in it, I think the um, availability of uh, coaches being able to swap ideas. You know, we have so many um, clinics that are available at, you know, YouTube is at our fingertips in terms of you want to look for a ball handling workup, you can look it out, look up, uh, look it up immediately. So I feel like as that's morphed, um, and then obviously the growth of AAU, um, that definitely has changed the way coaches are coaching. So as I, I guess, got into the early 
well, to the later, I guess, from probably 2014 and on, I think we started that shift where, you know, we can just take offense, for example. Offense has kind of morphed into a read the defense and react to it instead of having these very strict plays. And these kids, because they're playing so much AAU, want to play a little more freely. So that structure of offense has allowed them to play more freely. And it's actually, I find, it's made the game a little more aligned with men's sports and the way that men play, especially with men's basketball. I feel like, um, I think there was like kind of like a little stigma around like the, the, on the girls side, we had to follow plays a to B to C to D. And that's how we were successful with men. They can just play whether it was athleticism, whether it was their size, things were just easier, but girls are very talented and they're fast and they're quick and they're smart. So the less pressure that you put on them in terms of plays and you have to this and and also labeling positions. So I'm going to jump a little bit. The labeling that one, two, three, four, five, that's the school of thought that I came from. So, you know, I was always a four. Then in college, I was a three. Now it's you should play everything. You should be able to play everything. And coaches almost expect you to play everything unless, you know, you're like a six, three and up post player, super strong. Like I get that back to the basket type of player. Um So I think with all of that and changing the style in which we play, it's made the girls smarter. It's made them not follow. I mean, listen, you've been coaching forever too, right? You put in a play, they might not even realize that something's open because they're so focused on following the play that they don't even see that the easy pass is there, like you that to play outside of the structure. So I've noticed that things have morphed. And again, it could be just from AAU and the way that AAU has a very like run and gun culture, fast break, fast break, fast break when we can press, 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 steal on the backcourt, layup, layup, layup. That seems to be that culture is kind of now turning and almost making high school coaches have to shift their perspective so that we can keep the stronger AAU players engaged in our season. Um, you know, I also think there's been a shift where AAU players, you know, when, when I played AAU, that was secondary to my high school season. Now I think AAU is primary for a lot of these kids. So we as coaches have to make that high school season um, even more exciting and, you know, just desirable for them to be a part of that and to not just always thrive that AAU travel. So, right. We want to be able to find that balance. I do feel like, you know, the high school coaches still have a lot over the AAU experience and the fact that they see them every single day. They see them for several hours. They see them in their classroom environments. They they see them in so many different areas. And I think a lot of coaches, um, college coaches still depend on those high school coaches um, for that feedback of what are you seeing them throughout an entire long season? You know, an AAU coach may practice with them, you know, two, maybe three times a week if that's right. a lot and they travel with them some on the weekends but that I think that consistency is still valued by the high school um, by college coaches for the high school coach Um, but I do think I I like what you're saying about you know the different it's almost like discipline has been redefined Um, instead of the you know going from A to B Oftentimes now it's using your instincts on what's the best yep. way to get to be. And, and I think that's something that has changed. It's not that they're undisciplined, but we've kind of redefined no. what discipline means in the sport. So that's a perfect way to describe it. A hundred percent. It is. And it's, but it's almost discipline in a different sense, right? So, and you're allowing them to have more accountability 
for what they can, for their actions, what they can do, what maybe they need to strengthen. Um, where we have the ability to allow them to see some things that they might not have seen in the past. I also, um, I'm, I'm a huge college, uh, basketball fan, men's college basketball fan. Not that I don't love watching women's basketball. I do, but I, I am a, my, my house is a men's college basketball <laughs> world. So when that starts, we are, I mean, when actually after the championship is done, we kind of go into like a, kind of like a state of mourning for a couple of weeks. Like, what are we supposed to do? There's nothing on TV anymore. But um, I always tell my high school girls, please watch the game. And not that I don't love the NBA, but it's just a different, it, it, men's college basketball is it's exactly what I kind of structure, you know, generally speaking, I like to structure my, my offenses to look like, right? Just reading, just reading that defense, taking advantage of, of, you know, size differences, taking advantage of speed, knowing when to speed up, knowing when to slow down. When you constantly call and also letting the girls read themselves. But I also noticed that, and this is a huge shift, I don't call plays out anymore. So I used to call every single play on offense. You know, you get, we get the ball, whether we're in, you know, obviously if it's off of a rebound and we're pushing and we're in secondary transition, I don't. But I used to call every single offense. And that was so micromanaging in such a bad way. <laughs> Just looking from the outside now, because I used to call probably, offense and defense. So don't feel bad. Yeah, I call no, them I, both. I, yes. And then I'll try to switch them real quick. Yes. And it's just their confusion. Um, but if you just allow them to play it out and allow them, you give them the structure and allow them to play within that structure, good things happen. So that, that was one of the biggest things I've noticed that shift in the past. I would say, you know, six, seven years. Um, when in 2017, I ended up uh, switching from high school uh, to the uh, junior college and uh, I loved it, but then COVID struck. So, and COVID really, uh, the Ju- the JUCOs took a hit um, during COVID. So at one point it was, it was, it was uh, the second, the, the first year after COVID and we weren't going to have a season. And I kind of sat back and said, I can't just, I can't just recruit. Like I, I have to coach at some capacity. Um, I felt like I was on a roll in my career and to kind of halt that and to just spend the year trying to recruit to build, not knowing that if we were going to even have a season, the fo- a season the following year, I ended up going back into high school. But even coaching at the college level for a couple of years, it gave me a better perspective, you know, cause I was a college athlete, but I played 99 to 2003. So even seeing the shift now, um, definitely strengthened, you know, my skill set. So, and I was able to bring that back to the high school level as well, which was nice. And I do think that, you know, going a little bit back to um, our our control freak attitude, I guess, if you will, or I'll <laughs> say mine because yeah, no, I have it too. I have it too. Uh, I think sometimes coaches can <clears throat> overcoach. I think that's something, and I also think that, um, you know, a lot of the coaching really needs to be centered, you know, in practices and developing those um, instincts. And like you said, uh, during the during the games, being able to release a little bit and trust those yeah. instincts and let them execute, um, you know, execute. And I think a basketball IQ overall has also increased. And I think it's a lot because of what yeah. you just said. We're getting kids to watch more games, to study more games, to be students of the game. And I think that makes a big difference as well. And I, I do think that, you know, there's, there's an important piece to, um, you know, in high school, 
some high school coaches do not agree in watching film as much as some do. I think to some degree we do, sure. or coaches just film do it and they lie. write up their scouting. <laughs> yep, exactly. And some coaches, some coaches will just watch the film on their own, break it down, and then come in, you know, with a scouting report and say, okay, this is what this looks like for the, you know, what we're expecting for the next game. I always watch film with my kids. So we always do. And it's really good for them, obviously for their growth, for, you know, when I tell them they missed this, they missed this pass, it's really hard. They're, they're throwing 25, 30 passes a game. How are they going to go back and say, you know, you can catch them right in the beginning. Hey, you just right as a play happened, you missed that. But then that night, do they really remember? So watching that play back, they love to do it. And we always give them assignments. So what I do is I actually like, they, they have their own huddle accounts. They go in and they, we will tell them, you know, uh, tell me three things that you did really well in that game. Give me three things that you uh, need improvement on. Give me three things that we did fantastically as a team. And gave me three things that we, as a whole, what we need improvement on. And it really, I've noticed that they love this. They love watching film. They love to break themselves down. They love to break their teams down. And it also builds strength within our team. So it teaches the girls that it is okay to critique your peers in a positive way. Because when you don't do that and you're on the court and that tension's built up and someone might have missed a layup that was really more through a bad pass and we don't talk or we, we didn't establish that culture to say like, it is okay to critique ourselves when we're watching film then it doesn't translate. And it, like you, you have to have both or they start attacking each other right. in games. And I've seen it happen. So I love that film allows us to really kind of just admit our, our faults, see the faults in others, but also see the strengths and the way that they pick each other up is so positive. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to say, you know, I, I could coach star athletes, mediocre to just completely untalented. But when you build those, other things up, you just get the best results from it. You get with the, the best possible results that you can from whatever group you're coaching. So um, I, I, I do firmly believe that, yeah, film is so important for them. It is so important. And, and it also, so, you know, it is something that's like we have a common vision. Here is our tool to use that. We don't need to mess around on did you do this or did you not do that? Here's the film. Right. How can we make it better? And I think that's really important. All right. We're going to take our first break. And when we come back, we'll continue talking with Alexis Fibble. And I want to thank Great Southern Bank for being our presenting sponsor. We'll be right back on A Coach's Perspective. by Highland Dairy. They are owned by dairy farmers and they've been providing a great selection of nutritious dairy products since 1938. It's a proven fact from scientific studies and professional dietitians that the ideal sports beverage recovery drink available to athletes after a workout is chocolate milk. And Highland Dairy has the best tasting chocolate. They're a proud sponsor of A Coach's Perspective. I'm Jenny Hopkins and I welcome you back to A Coach's Perspective and we're going to continue our conversation with Coach Alexis Fibble. Well, welcome back, Alexis Fibble. And, and we're going to shift gears. We've been talking a little bit about coaches and, you know, and the professional development and how the game has kind of changed from an athlete and coach perspective. But let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, you know, looking at those intangibles that you were just discussing. Sometimes the X's and O's, you know, you use film, um, to be able to dissect what you need to improve in that area. But then there's also some other intangibles, maybe the motivation of a student athlete or, uh, maybe it's, uh, it's, it's helping them deal with, um, you know, 
a mental roadblock that they may have. They may have a fear of failure or some performance anxiety. Um, what are you seeing in the mental health scene um, on the East Coast with um, high school and college athletes? So, you know, obviously we can always use, and I don't, I don't want to use the term, it, it's not a crutch by any stretch of the imagination, but COVID, you know, affected everybody. And we can say COVID affected everything, right? So generally speaking, especially, you know, at the high school level in this moment right now with my juniors, let's just take, you know, vars- varsity here, you can play in New York, you can play from seventh grade and up, but let's just take our juniors, you know, right now, juniors this is pretty much going to be the first regular season that they've had of basketball. Last year, they had to wear masks while they played. And the year before that, they did not play. So as juniors, and my daughter's a junior, so I I have this firsthand in my home, this is actually their first year that they're going to have a completely normal season. So think about that. They lost the opportunity to score a thousand points. So, you know, going really quickly back to our first segment, you know, when they used to we high school basketball used to, I don't want to say Trump, but like was, you know, sometimes more important than AAU, you know, now it's kind of maybe shifted a little bit. Kids still want their name on their, their banners in their, in their high school gym, right? A thousand points, a thousand rebounds. These kids lost that opportunity. They, they really essentially did. So you feel for that. And I think there's sometimes a lot of them have, they, they struggle with it because I've had athletes that could have been division one or two athletes, division two athletes. And then now we're going to be going division three just because they haven't had the court time. Um, they haven't had the exposure. So, um, you know, I do see a shift um, in from the from, you know, the uh, overspill of COVID. But then, of course, social media, um, you know, there's a lot of I think, you know, we can talk about social media for hours and hours and hours. Um, but there's pressure that's put on uh, individuals because they see everybody else committed or coaches here at this practice and, and AAU practices and, and, you know, division one coaches flying in here and, you know, I, another offer, another offer, another offer. And then they have that angst that surrounds that as well. So um, I, during the pandemic, you know, I went back to school and I became um, integrative nutritionist, but was also a health and life coach and um, really kind of opened a different door for me, definitely opened up a different pathway that I can see this next part of my life kind of, you know, taking that path down the mental health route with athletes, obviously still staying in the athlete in the coaching space, but um, kids need help and coaches are responsible to recognize that. And I tell us just a little bit about your, one of your endeavors, one of your many endeavors, but the breakthrough coaching center, I think is something that um, is, is able to assist athletes with a little bit of a different angle. Tell us about that. So basically, um, I, I, I've been consulting with a, a company called Breakthrough Coaching Center, and it's a virtual center. It's comprised of certified coaches and specialists that are trained to basically remove blocks. Um, they realign, uh, paved paths to become your, your most authentic uh, version of yourself. And when I, I actually coached the owner's daughter, uh, owner's niece, sorry, um, she's out in California, but um, and out in New York, her sister lives here, and I got to coach her two lovely nieces. And their, her niece's uh, experience with high school and college bas- uh, lacrosse really kind of uh, jump-started her, her endeavor to start something called On the Ball. And On the Ball was a group that I helped consult uh, with Breakthrough Coaching Center to create. And it's a group basically uh, specified for student-athletes, 
um, and we provide them with educational, behavioral, developmental support in navigating pressures of performance in the athletic, academic, and peer setting, which are all obviously interrelated. So what we did was we basically came up with a five-part series that we offer students. Um, and the first session basically is just kind of like kind of setting a safe space for all the athletes. Now, this is something where the athletes don't have to necessarily be on the same team. You can have a lacrosse player, you can have a, a football player, you can have a men's bowler, you can have a golfer. It really doesn't matter what sport you're in because all of these feelings that they essentially feel are the same regardless of what sport they participate in. And so the first session basically just kind of sets that safe space and we kind of talk through everything like just how to basically navigate adversity in in sport in general amongst your team, coaches, et cetera. The second one is a deeper dive basically into the topics um, that we might have kind of like uncovered in the first session. You know, you when kids talk and they can freely speak in a safe space, they might end up, you know, talking about uh, eating disorders, pressure with, you know, coaches that they might not like and, um, you know, promiscuous behavior because kids talk about this all the time, right? So uh, we talk about a little more into that. Then this, the, third, um, the third, third session, we basically discuss topics that impact our lives kind of away from the sport. So those personal situations, you know, social media, how that plays a role, things that, you know, risky behaviors, you know, alcohol, drugs, everything that we can kind of encompass in that because they really self-drive this. So whatever they are interested in talking about, we will dive deeper into that. Um, and then the fourth, the fourth session, we basically talk about um, just how do we cope with those? How do we thrive? How do we get through those adversities that are presented to us? And then the fifth one, which I really love, um, that's when we meet with the parents or the coach. And we basically, obviously, keeping confidentiality, uh, we do speak about the things that are broadly, that were broadly kind of discussed in the group and how they as parents and coaches can help support their athletes and their children navigate through these issues. So um, it's fantastic. They did a pilot with one of my uh, teams here locally in New York, and the feedback was phenomenal. When I tell you a group of six girls can talk and talk and talk, <laughs> and they are so smart and so in tune with themselves and so they speak so freely now. And again, that could be from social media because everything is so freely out on social media, but they're, they speak so freely and comfortably about topics that are hard. Yes. Um, and so then after that, we decided to go a bit further and we are offering now something called trauma informed coaching. And basically that the point of it is to just get a better understanding, help the coaches get a better understanding on how to individualize their coaching style to better understand each of their players, um, you know, where they come from, where they are currently and where they're going. So, you know, I have morphed as a coach. Um, I always tell everybody I am a mom first, I'm a therapist second, and then I'm their coach. And they know <laughs> that in that order because you never know what female athletes are going to come into that gym and have on their mind that need you to talk about and they have to get out before practice. Yeah. 
Right. So that's so um, true. That's so true. Yeah. And I, I want to talk a little bit about what coaches can do. If you could give some tips on what they could yeah. do to help form that relationship. So there is that open door. Um, we're going to take, we're going to take our next break, but I am planting Great. that seed and giving that tease. We're going to talk a little bit about some practical ways that coaches can help open that door. And, and uh, they don't have to be a therapist, but they can be a vessel no. to help those athletes. And so exactly. we're going to talk a little bit about that. So I want to thank Highland Dairy for sponsoring this segment along with Greg and Melinda Burnett as they support local and thoughtful radio. We'll be right back on A Coach's Perspective. their customers happy and loyal. I've been one of them for over 25 years. Kelly Grant and Shane Rainey, they will take care of you. Give them a call at 417-326-7671. We also want to thank West Logging. Go to westlogging.com or find Danny West on Facebook. He will give you a free consultation and treat your land like his own. Thank you also to Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance. Let's continue our conversation with Coach Alexis Fibble. Welcome back. Um, Alexis Fibble is uh, giving us all kinds of valuable information. And you were just discussing about your consulting with mental health and, and helping with organizations, whether it's individual, through groups, through teams, different athletes, different sports, different genders. And what I'd like to do now is, is kind of what we discussed right before the break is tell us um, how coaches can form that relationship. We're not asking coaches to be therapists. Not everybody is trained in that area or is comfortable in that area, but we want them to be able to form that relationship to be open enough that if an athlete needs help, they can come to that coach and that coach can be a vessel to get them there. So what do you do as a coach to form a relationship with your athletes? So I think first and foremost, uh, coaches need to understand that we probably see our athletes during our season more than their parents get to really interact with them. So when you think about it, a child gets up, they go to school, they're there for seven and a half hours, they go right to practice for two, two and a half hours. They come home, probably hop right in the shower, eat, do their homework and go to bed. So we are actually seeing them more than their families do. So we are probably the first line of defense when there is something maybe a little off about, you know, their behavior or you can, you know, something's just not right. They might be struggling with something in school with their peers, athletically, mentally. We're the first line of defense to kind of be able to take a look at them as, you know, holistically and say, you know, Sarah might be a little off today. Wonder what that's all about. So what I do is, um, you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, uh, do it right, do it light, do it wrong, do it long. So I used to have two and a half hour practices, which is just, it's just not feasible anymore. They just don't have the attention span. So my practices usually go about an hour and a half on the court. I do have them there for two hours though, because the first half hour is what I basically allow them to, they stretch, um, they kind of, you know, do what they got to do, you know, go get taped, et cetera, et cetera. Then they come back into my gym uh, and I always give them five minutes. We go around in a circle and I, they tell me something good about their day. And I can tell right off the bat whether someone is, you know, not willing to talk, not wanting to share, or they're so happy to share. There's something they've been talking the entire time. So I kind of let everybody go around and that's how I assess. I assess the mood for every day. And again, this not, might not be for every coach because you might not have the time, but you know, I encourage both male and female. Sometimes males are just not very comfortable when they, when they're coaching a, a female team because they don't know where, you know, how far they can go without it feeling like they're overstepping. So just asking a very basic question, give me something new and great. 
How is your day today? Something that can guide just strike conversation. I build my time into the practice like that. So after they get it all out, then we go down, we're, we're down to business. So our practices start and I do run a very structured business, uh, a practice where I, I feel like it's a business where again, do it right, do it right, do it light, do it wrong, do it long. Um, and everything has goals associated with it. But when we have downtime, especially when we're shooting our foul shots and things like that, I basically just walk around the gym and I talk to each one, even if it's just one second, how was your day? How'd you do on your math test? Because you know, they had a math test because the day before they talked the entire practice about how they have a math test coming up. So, you know, it, I mean, if you're, if you, if you want to hear everything, you want to know everything about the girls or your, you know, the guys on your team, just listen. If you just walk around and listen, they'll tell, they, they'll tell you everything. So I walk around, and I just, it, you know, I might not hit everybody in one foul, you know, free throw set, but by the end of the practice, I will have touched base with everybody. And then they always know that I stay there for 10 minutes at the end of practice. They can all come to me at the, at the end of practice. I make myself available. So, you know, I try to keep myself, I, I, I hold, I hold them accountable. I try to maintain authority. But I also give them space to see that um, to to see that they can to see that they can joke with me to see that they can be comfortable with me. So I try to, but they know when I'm serious that they that coach is serious, and this is when it's time to focus. But I allow them to see different sides of me so that I can see different sides of them, and I found I find that to be very valuable. I find that to be very helpful um, in our practice situations and. Again, sometimes I just reach out or I'll send them text message or, you know, through the remind app. I don't know what, you know, what everybody uses, but in New York, we will text our players or we're using a, rem- a remind app. But, you know, I try to touch base with them as much as I can. If I find that they had a really good game, I'll send them a text to say, hey, this was phenomenal for you tonight. Or, you know, just to make sure you reward when necessary um, and kind of critique when possible. But uh, yeah, I just keep that open line of communication open. But I really find that uh, carving out that space in the beginning of practice to just let them kind of freely speak in front of their peers. Their peers can see that too then because then, you know, I've had so many captains come, captains come up to me during practice and say, hey, Kelly seems off today. And they can tell that by that first five minutes where we are talking and they might not be engaged. They might not be making eye contact with everybody. They might know something that happened in school that we don't. So, you know, keeping that open line of communication is definitely key. I think that is such a great um, activity. And really, this is minimal effort. And, minimal. and what I'm hearing is, you know, you're not just being nice to your players. There is a difference. You are valuing your players. You're, you're yep. showing that you care and that you value them. And there's a difference between being nice and valuing. And no matter what their role is, um, as humans, you need to, to value your players and, and kids are smart. They can see right through <laughs> anybody, uh, yep. that, you know, that does it, that's just doing it as a checking the box. Um, but to really genuinely listen and, and care and to build that in your schedule, that is, that is very impressive because that, that is minimal effort with, with huge, minimal. huge gains. Um, yep. so let's, I'm going to, I'm going to segue into, um, another avenue that you do. You do some consulting work for, um, college recruitment and you have helped a, a lot of athletes through this process and who talk about game changer the last few right. years, the recruitment process of, you know, not only going through that process of trying to decide what school is the best fit for you, what program is the best fit for you. Um, but then now you have the NIL, um, you have the transfer 
offer portal. You have all of these mm-hmm. different, um, I, I, you know, variables that are in place. And I think that's something that, that a lot of athletes, um, are having to navigate with very little experience. Um, some do it tremendously. Um, and I give them a lot of credit, but others are waiting yeah. through. Um, and I worry about some athletes on, on the recruitment end that oftentimes will say, uh, they will, they will commit somewhere that may be a little bit out of, out of their reach. Um, so they can say they're going there for a few months, but then when they go and have to live it for four years or however long, it's not the best fit. Um, and so I think sometimes they get caught up in, oh, I want to go here. I want to go there. I want to go, um, instead of really looking genuinely, where's the best fit for me for the next four years. So tell us a little bit about right. that process and how it's changed. Well, just to speak to that particular point, the, uh, transfer portal has made that possible, right? I feel like I've, I've noticed that shift now where, the commitment isn't that four year or five year commitment. Like I am 100% committed to going to X school because it's, yeah, it's okay, but I can transfer if I want to. Right. And I, you know, that we don't want that for anybody. We don't want that for families, for students. The coaches don't want that. Um, you know, speaking to, um, you know, I, I, I've had in the past couple months, you know, dealing with, um, an athlete that, uh, Prior to COVID, you know, probably if, if everything fell into place for her, would have went division one. And, and we now notice that it was a division two and division three fit for her just because of the way that the pieces fell. And also, um, you know, so I think the first and foremost is really being realistic with that player, right? So that player might think they're a certain level athlete when they really might not be. So you, if you are going to help your players in the recruiting process, um, you need to be very realistic with that player. You have to have a very open line of communication with that player and that family without obviously, you know, putting them down, but also keeping them realistic in, in what is the best fit for them. Right. And you really you have to understand have dreams and, and right. goals and, and want them to strive to accomplish those yep. without any and doubt many, and hesitation. Yes. And how many you know stories have you heard where a kid just walks onto a division one school and literally becomes a thousand point scorer and, right. you know, breaks records and sure. fantastic, you know, career, but you know, you want to be realistic and it's realistic with what they're looking for. And it's realistic because you also have to know, like as a coach helping a student, your reputation is at stake because now you're reaching out to, to, to colleges to try to, you know, quote unquote, sell this player but if you're trying to sell a division three player to a division one school, you're wasting their time. And so I feel like everybody has to be on the same page before you commit to that process. Once you commit, it's, it's, I, I you know, I, I have, I have so much fun with it. I love it. I love seeing, you know, the kids get to, you know, get to these colleges and do their photo shoots and, and meet the team and, and talk to the coaches and the relationships that I've been able to build with so many of our, you know, I'll call it local you know, albeit probably within a four hour radius, but you know, I'm in the New England area. So, you know, I get to talk to, you know, University of New Haven, Smith, you know, Scranton, Stevens, uh, University of Rochester, uh, all of these really strong, you know, in the NESCAC schools, Amherst, Bowdoin, you know, these are really strong athletic and academic schools that, um, I think sometimes kids don't realize that are available. Um, I think D3 is always overlooked uh, because there's no money available um, and they can't be offered anything. But um, again, going through this recruiting process this particular year with one of my players that we had originally thought would have gone D1 or D2, realizing how competitive Division 3 is, 
um, and realizing the academic value of some of those schools um, definitely, you know, is important for you to, you know, as a coach, it really is. It's important for you to kind of introduce players to all avenues and then let them kind of cut that down, their list down as they get to, you know, kind of go on their visits. Um, what I do notice is that, you know, this particular player that I worked with in, uh, more recently, she probably had about 18 offers. And my encouragement to coaches that are that find themselves in this position is that you need to make sure that you have your players um, eliminate schools immediately if they have no interest whatsoever in attending because I've received so much feedback from, you know, other colleges. The kids sometimes have a fear of letting a coach down and these college coaches, everybody has to understand it's a business. It's a business because they're building a team. They're getting paid to basically, you know, build a program, a winning program. So if you hold on and you don't tell them no, even when you know you're not going to go to that school, they're still waiting and they can't move on to the next. And so a lot of kids have this fear. And I kind of, you know, I, I make a joke. I'm like, listen, these coaches are not sending you Christmas cards. So like, just tell them that you are not going to that school and move on because they need to move on. Right. And, um, so and they'll respect them in the long run to do that. Yeah, absolutely. I always also, um, I, I always make sure that if they're going to decline an offer, or a spot, you know, depending on what division, that do it by phone. Um, you know, if you've had a relationship, if you've had a phone conversation with a coach and you've had a, a face-to-face yes. visit, you've been on that campus, you need to show the respect enough to give them a phone call. And it's hard, but I think those are life lessons that are so important for this, you know, this age, 16, 17, 18 years old, to be able to call a college coach and say, I, you know, I respectfully decline your offer. You know, it's it's impressive for them to be able to do that, um, and I want them to do that. So, again, generally speaking, I think that just being realistic with your player's ability, knowing that not only is it your player, but, you know, as as you said earlier, you want them to strive. But, again, you know, at different divisions, you know, you can be a, a, a high Division three player and a low Division one player, and it's exactly the same. So finding that fit academically I see a lot of kids trying to go to a school because of the basketball aspect of it or the, you know, the sports piece of it, but they don't have, they, the school doesn't have their major. So what they do is then they choose something more general. And then what are, where does that leave you? So it leaves you to have to, uh, basically you'll have to get your master's in order to get a little more specific in the field that you want to, you know, basically, you know, have your career in or, you know, you're stuck general business or general sciences and, it's just not good decision-making. So, you know, making sure that the parents are also holding true to that. Um, Cause a lot of times, you know, the parents will not, you know, keep their kids on the same track as, you know, maybe a coach is trying to help with the recruiting process. We might be a little more honest with them, but then when they're home in their house, it's, you know, they're talking, you know, at dinner, at the dinner table, it's like, wherever you want to go, wherever you're more comfortable, but they have to be realistic about the academic piece as well. So 
Um, and I, and I agree with a lot of what, what you are saying. And I think it's also important for them to really look at the variables. We used to do a fit sheet, if you will. Look at, you know, write your variables. What are your deal breakers? You know, look at not only just the, the major and the academic portion of it, but the size of the city and, um, is it the location where you want it to be? Um, there's a lot of different variables that you've got to play. Um, and I think that's something it's important for the athlete and the parents to do together. Um, you know, oftentimes I think the parents are, um, you know, try there's there's two different avenues that you can take. You can release your child and let them go through this process and, and support them and help them along the way, or you can be a little bit too involved and sometimes shift them to an avenue uh, that may not be the best fit for what they feel. So um, what what kind of advice, we are about to, to wrap up a little bit, but what kind of advice do you have in this last couple minutes um, for parents that are going through the recruitment of their child? I think it's just, again, staying true. Everything you said, your checklist, your, you know, make sure the dorms are, are, you know, you'd be so surprised how many kids are worried about the bathrooms, uh, the bathroom situation, you know, what your stipend is on game day for food. There's so many little things. Chick-fil-A is a thing. Chipotle is a thing out here. Chipotle is a thing out here. So there is, there are so many times and and the, the important the, the the way that these kids rank some of these is is actually really hilarious. But um, yes, parents, you have to be able to stand your ground because you, in essence, are going to be the ones that are you know potentially carrying the financial burden if it's not a scholarship situation. So making sure that you hold your ground and making sure that your child's making the right decision. I'm not saying that every kid has to go into school knowing exactly what they want to be, but making sure that that college, m- making sure that that um, college has their major. Um, you know, asking as many questions as possible, building a relationship with that coach. You want to make sure that that you agree with the coaching style of of that coach because you yes. know your child, right? Um, you know, making some some parents don't want their kids traveling where they have to fly in order to watch games. So set that boundary with your child then, so that your your kid's not looking from New York to California. So I think parents have to be very realistic with their approach on how they want to structure these, you know, a lot of, listen, there's, there's kids that want to fly and they know they want to go, but parents won't let them. So I think that they just have to have an open line of communication with their child as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, what you said, I, I always encourage parents and kids to, to Google YouTube, a game, a lot of these games are college games are pre-recorded, whether it's a division yeah. three, you can, you can get film on any, on any game. You can ask a coach to send you film Right. So you can, so you can see how she, how that coach coaches, how that bench reacts, how, um, you know, the relationships that the coach has with their assistant coaches, um, you know, talk to the players when you're on your recruiting trips, the, the, the kids should talk to the, the, uh, team, teammates on the recruiting trips as much. Ask the coaching style of right. their coach. Do you like the coach? Um, how are practices structured? There's so many people, if you can get to a practice, you know, a lot of coaches want to have, um, you know, kids come and watch, watch a game or have their overnight, but come and watch a practice, mm-hmm. see how he yes. runs or she runs a practice. So yeah, all of those pieces together, it's definitely a process, but it should be fun at the end of the day. It shouldn't be stressful. Right. So try right. to keep it. Yeah. Try to keep it on the ladder. So and do your homework. So look at that. Do your homework. What positions, homework. Do you, you know, they have coming back and look at all of those different variables. Oh, it's, they yes. It's huge. Yeah. And no, and this is actually, that's a great point. Um, and I know we're going to be cutting it, uh, cutting it soon, but knowing that 
it's okay if a school has your position or two. So in high school, you know, you're a post player. That's your spot. You're a starting post player. Colleges will have three post players, three that play your position. Don't let that deter you. You know, that's where that fight and that drive comes once you get to campus and once you get to practice. Now you have to establish yourself as number one. But colleges carry 15 to 20 on their roster. It's not just one of you anymore. And so players really have to understand that that's a really important piece to know that you can't play 40 minutes or 32 minutes and get you just not going to. Um, and you have, there's a learning curve. So that freshman year, you're probably not going to play and you're going to learn from that older player. So appreciate that there's more than one of you and not look at that as a downside. So I see that a lot. I see that a lot. Well, Alexis Fibble, I can't thank you enough for spending this hour with us. We really do appreciate all of the guidance um, that you've given us and and good luck to you and your team and all of the consulting and thanks what you do for athletes. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate everything you do as well. And thank you so much for having me. Well, my thanks to Alexis Fibble and, and all of her valuable insights. Um, there are so many other things that, um, that that we could have touched on. She has a plethora of knowledge and information, and I want to thank her for, for being our guest tonight. Um, this segment's also sponsored by Springfield Yard Cards, and Springfield Yard Cards is a great way to celebrate your special life moments, and it kind of puts a personal touch by displaying the unique greeting in your own front yard. Visit sgfyardcards.com for more information. And we're going to move into our post-game talk sponsored by Story Construction. They've been providing high-quality industrial and commercial construction since 1966. Go to Story, S-T-O-R-E-E dot com for more information. Well, I have to give a big shout-out before I go to my post-game talk, and that is a big happy birthday to Ned Reynolds, the legend himself. I want to thank him so much. He's been a great mentor to me. And I appreciate him um, each and every day. So happy birthday to Ned Reynolds. And now for our post-game talk. My guest tonight has a hand in so many areas of sports. We are all in this together and we need to support our athletes, coaches, and families. Athletics is a wonderful tool for life and the lessons that are gained from sports are impactful. Time management, discipline, work ethic, coping strategies, competing, all of that is valued. Nurture those attributes, all of them and enjoy them to the fullest. That's how champions do it. I'm going to remind you as I do each and every week, be a good human, live your life like a champion, and live like a human champion. This is Jenny Hopkins, and this has been A Coach's Perspective.